Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10, and we are going to finish Colossians 3, 1 through 10 tonight, and hopefully move into chapter 3, verses 11 through 17. Let's, let's read again where we left off last week. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, to catch us all up, for those that weren't here with us last week, we looked at the fact, and we've been looking at it in the last few weeks, that this new life that God has given us, this change in us that has begun at the time of our salvation because we were put in Christ, it's going to manifest itself as we learn to stop trying to live better but I actually believe that the same God who said he would save us is the same God who said he would live out his life through us. Remember, the Bible taught us, and we've been looking at it. Paul said, I'm confident that he who began this good work in you will finish it. We see how Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus is described as the author and the finisher of our faith. And we've been looking at the fact that all along the scripture has taught us that it's not that we get saved and now we try to live for God. It's that that same God that gave us salvation by faith is now desiring to make those changes in us that he desires of us. And he's going to do it as we daily learn to live by faith and let him live his life through us. But if you remember where we left off last week was I asked you a question. And I told you we're going to come back and deal with it this week. And the question was, okay, Jim, if God is the one who's going to live his life through us, if God is the one who's going to do this work in us, this sanctification process of conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, why does the Bible tell us to do it? Do you see here it says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And then he says, In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath. And he goes on. Why does the Bible then say, if Christ is going to be the one doing it through us, why does the Bible say that we're to do it? Well, here's the answer. Yes, because... God still, just like He gives us the ability to say yes or no to Him for salvation, the beginning of the salvation process of justification, on a daily basis, I'm going to show you from the Scriptures, God is not going to force us like puppets to live like He wants us to. We have to choose on a daily basis, hourly at times, whether or not we're going to let this new nature that is in us because of Christ be in control, or whether or not we're going to let the flesh be in control. Go with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Listen to what Paul says. He says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Now, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your, and I'm going to change this word members to body parts, okay? Just as you once offered or presented your body parts as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your body parts as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at what he's saying. He said, now that you have been set free from sin, some people are saying, well, if I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace, can I just go ahead and sin? 
Paul's answer, first of all, by the way, is not, well, be careful. If you keep on sinning, you might, not, you might lose your salvation. He had a chance to go there, but he didn't. Because we know the Bible teaches that if you have been born again, if you have been sealed by God by his spirit, you are eternally secure. That's going to become even more clear in a little bit tonight. But at the same time, Paul's answer is, wait a minute. Why would you want to choose to go back and offer yourself to what you've been set free from? Why would you want to go back to those of you that used to live in sin before you got saved? Was it fun? Oh, at the time, maybe for a split second, you might have thought it was. But think back to those years that you were stuck in those lifestyles that you were in before Christ. Do you really want to go back to that? Why would you offer yourself to that, he's saying? But he also puts in here something that I'm going to kind of bring out a little bit more. That we also, now that we're in Christ, we get to choose whether or not Christ is going to be able to live through us or whether or not we're going to live for self or live for the flesh because we still have that fleshly struggle. So I'm going to ask you this question. How long can a Christian go without sinning? Now, I want you to think about it. I've already given you the answer. I'm going to ask you the question again. How long can a Christian go without sinning? Here's the answer. As long as he or she chooses to. No, it's not they choose that I'm going to stop sinning. No, no, no. That's not what I mean by choosing. But greater is he who is what? in you than he who is in the world. The same Jesus that lived in a human body just like yours and mine and was tempted in every which way, yet he never sinned. That same Jesus has the ability to say no to sin. And by the way, not only is Jesus living inside of us and he's already defeated this flesh, he's not tempted anymore. The Bible actually says that when he died to sin, sin has no temptation to him anymore. He's not struggling with this flesh. He defeated it. So now it's even a greater thing, if you will, in a sense, because that same Jesus who already said no to the flesh now is not even tempted by the flesh. And he lives within us. And if we yield to him, you will have victory over sin. Plain and simple. Now, please don't hear me teach that, that if you're a real Christian, you'll never sin again. But I can tell you this much. If you are truly born again of the spirit and Jesus lives within you, you will not become sinless, but you will sin less. You won't gratify the desires of the flesh. If you walk in the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. Go with me real quick to 1 John chapter 2 and then 1 John chapter 5. <clears throat> I hadn't put these in my notes. It's just a passage the Lord just brought to my mind. So that's why I say chapter 2 and chapter 5 because I'll find out where in chapter 2 and where in five, chapter 5 in just a second. Look at chap, chap, it's chapter 3. My Rolodex of my memory was a little bit off. Romans, uh, sorry, 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse, of, not, look, look at verse 9. Romans, 1 John, keep trying to say Romans. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Do you see that? It doesn't say that a person born of God doesn't sin. But that person born of God is really not happy when they sin. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? I don't know about you, but I'm still tempted to sin and I still give in to sin. And when I give in to sin, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't taste good. And you know what? Because of Christ in me, I've had a lot more victory than losses. Go to 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Do you see it? So I'm going to ask you again. How long can a Christian go without sinning? As long as he or she chooses to. And now it's a matter of you believing that that same Jesus that you said, would you give me eternal life, would you save me, would save you. You also all have to believe that that same Jesus will now give you victory over the flesh. But you have to choose to let Jesus be in control or to let the flesh be in control? Oh, by the way, how often do we have that, that, that struggle? <laughs> Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Look at verses 1 and 2. Some of you could probably quote it. But look again now in this context at what Romans chapter 12 is saying. <clears throat> Paul says in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your flesh... As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the way, in the Greek, that should read the daily renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you see it? What are we to lay on the altar every day? What are we to offer to God every day? Our bodies. This flesh. And when we fall into sin, listen closely. It's not who you are if you are in Christ when you sin. I, I know that it was a fun song that we sang years ago, and I'll get right to you, Dave. Years ago when I was in New Orleans, I remember one Sunday, uh, the choir had this special, and the choir sang this, I'm just a sinner saved by grace song. And man, we all got moved. And the, the worship pastor even asked everybody that got saved. And when we call out January, everybody that got saved in January, stand up. And all over the sanctuary, the January people got up and the February and so on. And, and then he said, for those of you that don't know, to go ahead and stand up now, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know what month it was, but, but I've come to realize something. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus that still sins because of my flesh. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And I want you to start to understand that. Because unfortunately, many of us over the years have been taught by the church... God did this for you. Now you need to live for him. Isn't that what we were taught? Oh, we tried, didn't we? I mean, we tried. How'd that work out? Oh, we, we, had, we, had, we, got, we rededicated ourselves. You know, we had a revival and we said, Lord, I mean it now. How'd that work out? But you know what I think as I touched on last week, I think the Bible teaches that we need to come to a holy understanding after salvation of the fact that we still can't live out the Christian life. I haven't forgotten you, Dave. I am coming back. But you know, in the same way that we have to come to a holy dissatisfaction in order to be saved, you have to stop trying to fix it and realize I can't before you can be saved, right? After salvation, I think the Bible teaches that God, for His purposes, allows us to experience those struggles of trying to live according to legalism and rules and trying to do better until we get to that point where we realize, I can't do it. So don't beat yourself up if you're in the struggle. You're right on schedule. I just say to you, give up. Give up. Go ahead, Dave. If we remember that in perspective, we're seated with Christ, mm -hmm. the right hand of the Father, and look at things from that perspective. That's the renewal of our minds that the Bible talks about. That's the renewal of our minds. It has to happen on a regular basis. Go, go real quick to Matthew 26. Look at verses 36 through 41. Now let me show you how much understanding God's process of conforming us in a process over time into His image has changed how I read the Scriptures. In Matthew 26, verses 36 through 41, the Scripture says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and He said to His disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with Me. And going a little farther, He fell on His face and He prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, if you to keep reading, what happens? Jesus goes back off and prays some more. And he comes back and he finds his disciples what? Now, for years, I read this by Jesus saying to them, Couldn't you watch with me one hour? I read it as if Jesus was saying, What's wrong with you? I expected you to be awake. But let me ask you a question. Knowing who Jesus is, was he caught by surprise that they were sleeping when he came back? No, no there's nothing that catches him by surprise. Remember, Peter says, I don't know about the rest of these guys. I'm gonna, I'll die for you. Jesus says, actually, I know a whole lot more than you know about yourself. And before the rooster even crows tomorrow, three times, you're going to deny you know me three times. You know what I'm talking about, right? So was Jesus caught by surprise when he came back and found them sleeping? No. So when Jesus is saying, could you not watch with me one hour, what's he pointing out to them? Their struggle. Yes, the, the fact that, they, well, then he says, that he gives them a teaching point. Oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's why we need to learn how to be alert, 
for what's going on and ask for help. Be alert for the fact that, isn't that what the Bible says? That we're to be alert and watching that the enemy is out there seeking someone to devour. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Doesn't the Bible say that we're to stand against all the wiles of the devil and we're to put on the armor of who? Of God. And this was actually not Jesus upset with them and beating them up. He was actually just teaching them something they needed to learn. Again, let me remind you of something that God's just blown open and is helping the whole scriptures come alive for me. Way, way back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says to the nation of Israel in verses 1 through 5, as he's speaking to them, he said, Remember all these years how the Lord your God led you into the wilderness. Did you catch that? You didn't end up in the wilderness because you made a wrong turn. You didn't end up in the wilderness because you made a mistake. You ended up in the wilderness because I intentionally brought you there. And I did it for three reasons. One, I did it to humble you, remind you of your dependence on me. Not only that, I did it to test you, to see what was in your heart, whether or not you keep my commandments. But again, remember, God already knows whether or not they would. Who is the test for? It's for them to find out. I've shared this with some of you, but years ago when big old Moose AJ over there was a brand new uh, resident of Florida. We moved from Chicago down here to come, become, become pastor at this church. AJ was around a one year old and the little rascal thought he could swim. <laughs> and we bought a nice house there on the beach and it had a big pool in the backyard. And we had a problem because there's a lot of sliding glass doors and other doors to that pool. And we were forever going, where is he? Where is he? Because he wasn't afraid of the water. So I knew I, if I'm going to be able to get any sleep, I got to teach him how to swim. So I said to AJ, let me teach you to swim. He said, no. <laughs> One year old. He said, no. You know why he told me no? He thought he could swim. <laughs> he didn't think he needed a lesson. So you know what I did? I said, you can swim. Yes. Don't need a lesson. No. I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a swimming test. Now, I turned to Becky and said, you need to go where you can't watch, where you can't hear. She'll tell you. I said, get where you cannot come rescue him. And then I took my son, who thought he could swim, and I threw him in the deep end of the pool. I didn't let him walk down in and show me his strokes. I said, you can swim, huh? And I threw him right into the deep end on purpose. By the way, how did he do? He failed the test. Did I get upset that he failed the test? No, I was ecstatic that he failed the test. I was glad that he drank half the pool. I was glad that his eyes got this big. I was glad that he thought, I'm going to die because then I could come in and pull him out and now, guess what? He was teachable. We didn't even have to lock the doors. He wasn't going anywhere near that water. Listen to me. Your heavenly father already knows what it's going to take to get you to finally get there. We've been taught by the church that when you fail, God is upset with you. He's disappointed in you. Folks, if God already knows everything and if disappointment involves surprise, can you disappoint God? God says, remember all these years how I led you into the wilderness. I caused you to hunger. I made you thirsty. I did it to remind you of your dependence, to humble you. I did it to show you where you really are. The test was for you, not for me. And I did it for a third reason, to teach you that man lives only by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm continually, let me give you a little heads up of what's going to go on in your life. God's going to keep upsetting the apple cart. God's going to keep changing things. Tires are going to blow. Washers and dryers are going to die. People are going to get sick. You're going to lose your job. There's going to be transfers. Kids aren't going to always listen to you. Let me just tell you that through this life, you will have struggles. But you know what? God says part of them are what I'm allowing for my purposes of conforming you into my image. But you've got to get to that point where you realize you can't fix it but I will. And everything is to remind you of your dependence, show you where you really are. You see, if I need to move you from here to here, I can't move you from here to here if you think you're already here, right? 
I've got to show you where you really are. That's all God's doing. When we fail the test, he's not upset. He, now we know what he already knew. And he's now trying to teach us how to listen to what he says to do now. Folks, that's why it's so messed up that our churches try to govern themselves by rules and regulations. Oh, if our leaders in all of our churches in Brevard County, in this United States and wherever, would be leaders that say, what does God want us to do now? What is God saying in this situation? Not, well, the manual says. We're faithful to the scriptures, as you heard somebody teach somewhere, God may not duplicate a method. Therefore, I say to you, in your individual walk with the Lord, learn how to say no to the flesh on a daily basis and lay it on the altar and say, Jesus, I need victory. You said you would do it, and I believe you will. I'm going to walk away from this temptation, believing that you will give me the victory. And folks, let me just tell you, watch what happens. He does. Now, I want to pull out real quick a couple last things from this section so we can move on to the next section. Look at verse 3 in Colossians chapter 3. It says, For you have died in your life is what? It's hidden with Christ in God. I'm going to do this fast because there's so much more I want to get into in the next section here. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And there are three main parts to this being hidden with Christ in God. The first one is this. We have a common spiritual life with the Father and the Son. A lot of us may not realize this. But when you were put into Christ, kind of like what Dave just talked about, when you were put into Christ and Christ was put into you and Christ is in the Father. And when we're swimming in God, you have not only been put in God where he's taken care of you. You have been given a common nature. And that sounds crazy. You're not God. Don't hear me wrong. But I guess I'm going to let the scripture tell you what it says. And, and maybe you'll see it that way. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 17. It says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Did you catch that? It's not that just Christ is living in you. You have become one spirit with Christ. That's why in this section he's talking about sleeping with prostitutes and how the reason you're not supposed to do that is why would you offer your body, which has Christ in it, <laughs> to a prostitute? And that's why he even says in this whole, the two will become one flesh. And that's why it's very important that the marriage relationship be kept sacred. Why? Because it's a picture of Christ and his church. But he makes an interesting statement here. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Go real quick with me to John 17. Look at what Jesus said in his prayer. For too long we have actually uh, had people try to teach us that Jesus prayed that we would get along here in John 17. And that's definitely a desire of God. And the scripture teaches that in many places. But in John 17, in verses 20 through 23, Jesus is not praying that we would get along here. Look at what he's praying he says, John 17, verse 20, I do not ask for those, these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we, even are we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as, as you have loved me. Listen to what he's saying. Father, my prayer is that they would have the same relationship with you that I have. I want them to be one with you and me, I and them and you and me. My prayer is that they would have a well, how does it read again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17? That we would be one spirit with him. And so, real quickly, a part of you being hidden with Christ in God is you have a new spirit not only put in you, but you are actually in union with God spiritually. Now, do we feel that way a lot? Why do we not feel this union with God? Why do we not sense this union with God? That you're close. She said, because we're still trapped in the yucky flesh. That's part of it. You don't believe it. That's a big part of it as well. We don't understand it nor believe it, but there's another reason. We haven't learned more of him to know who he is. Exactly. A part of it. Again, another aspect. She said, we haven't learned more of him to know who he is. Most of us, after salvation, have been taught to live out of the flesh and not out of the spirit. You want evidence? When you got saved... 
and you walked down that aisle and you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the response was, praise the Lord, you couldn't save yourself, Jesus gives it to you, right? And then as soon as you were done walking down the aisle, they handed you your envelopes. <laughs> right? They said, here. And you remember what was on the envelopes? The little check mark system. I brought my Bible. I read my Sunday school lesson. I, you don't you remember what I'm talking about. We were taught, here's a list of committees. We want you to serve on a couple. Here's our service times. We want you to be here every time the doors are open. And without realizing it, the church taught us the beginning part of salvation, which is the justification by faith. But the whole rest of salvation is still by faith. That's why Paul says after perfecting yourself in the, or beginning in the spirit, are you trying to perfect yourself or finish it in the flesh? We don't really understand this union with Christ because we've been told Jesus did this for you. Now you live for him. I'm going to save you some time. You can't. You can't. But your life is hidden with Christ and God. There's another part to it, too. And we'll just say this part quickly and it'll save a lot of time. The world won't understand it. I'll just save you a lot of time. The world won't understand it. We want to turn there. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. The man without the spirit does not understand the things of the spirit. They're foolishness to him because they're spiritually discerned. Folks, if you try to help someone understand how you know Christ lives in you, you're just going to be wasting your breath if they don't know Jesus. You can try to convince them and you can try to use human reasoning. Well, it's kind of like apple pie or it's kind of like an egg. Forget it. They won't understand it unless the spirit of God opens their eyes to the truth when they come to know him for themselves. All right. So if your life is hidden with Christ and God, you have you're one in spirit with him and the world won't understand it. But there's the third part, too. If you're hidden with Christ in God, don't let anybody out there teach you or try to tell you that you could lose your salvation because you are scripturally, very clearly, eternally secure. Go to first Peter, chapter one. First Peter, chapter one. I'm going to do two passages real quick and reference a third, and then we'll jump into one more thing from this last section and then get on to the next verses. First Peter, chapter one, verses three through four. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. Did you catch that? undefiled and what unfading where is it kept <laughs> kept in heaven for you well i'm not really kind of living so good right now well if you're truly saved guess what you're not holding on to your salvation god's keeping it in heaven for you who by god's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time jump over to second peter second peter chapter one look at verses three and four His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Did anybody catch what's going on here? Because you're in Christ... His divine power has already given you everything you need for life and godliness. Don't listen to the people that say we need another baptism or a special person come lay hands on you or have some kind of ecstatic experience. No, you, if you're in Christ and you've been put in Christ, you've got all the God you ever need. You need to now learn how to let what's there live out. And you may become partakers of the divine nature. Does that say that every Christian is going to partake of the divine nature? Do they have it? Yes. yes. They just have never been taught or learned how to use it. Now, you, we could sit here now and be mad at all those preachers and teachers and Sunday school teachers over the years that didn't teach us. Let me tell you, when you stand before God, he's not going to talk to you about those Sunday school teachers that didn't tell you or those preachers that taught you wrong. He's going to say, not only did I give you my word, I put you in America where there's, you got extra Bibles laying around your whole house. We're moving my brother Jeremy tomorrow. He's moving from a two-bedroom apartment that he and dad shared until dad died about a year ago, and he's moving back to a one-bedroom. And as I was helping him pack up this weekend, one of our struggles was, what do we do with all these old Bibles? Moms and dads and jeers and extras, and you feel bad throwing them away, but they're also in really bad condition, you know? But we were like, what do we, then it hit us, good grief, we got five or seven Bibles laying around the apartment. Folks, you have been given everything, it's all right there, 
When you stand before God, he's not going to talk to you about your Sunday school teacher or the preacher. He's going to talk to you about what he gave you. How many Bibles did you get? Did you read one of them? You know? All right. The, the last thing from this section I want to point out is this, and that's just the fun part. Go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, boy, that's cool. We'll, we'll deal with that more later on. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you then also will appear with him in glory. In this whole context, Paul has been telling them to focus on the spiritual realm, the true reality of who they are because they're in Christ, since you've been raised with Christ, or if you've been raised with Christ. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Stop trying to live out of the flesh, but learn how to live out of the spirit. And then he makes this awesome statement, and I want you to hear what's going on here. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears... You will appear with him in glory. I don't know if you understand what this is, folks. This is the rapture. This is the rapture. All through this section, Paul's been telling us to focus on the spiritual realm. And we're also to be looking and waiting for the appearing of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? If you don't know that, go with me real quickly to Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Did you catch that? Training us. It's a process. Training us to live these kind of lives. And then it goes on and says this. Waiting, verse 13, for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We as Christians, if we're truly focusing on things that are above and not on earthly things, we're not only going to be learning how to let him live his life through us on a daily basis, we're going to be continually watching for his return. Too many of us have been told over the years, well, those people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. <laughs> have you ever heard that one? You know, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. So if the Bible teaches the exact opposite, who inspired that statement about people that are focusing on the return of Jesus? They're so we're heavenly minded. They're no earthly good. Satan is the one who inspired that. Actually, if you were to take the time and look at 1 John chapter 3, it talks about how those of us who are waiting for his return and when he appears, we're going to be like he is. And everybody understands this uh, purifies himself as he is pure. There's going to be a change in us if we're really looking for the return of Jesus Christ. We're going to be watching and ready also, in 2 Timothy, we're not going to turn there, and I'll get right to you. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-8, through 8, Paul, at the end of his life, says, I fought the fight, I finished the race. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, listen, but not only for me, but also for all who have longed or loved his appearing. Folks, let me just tell you, be watching for the return of Jesus Christ, and I'll make a quick little commercial, and then I'll get right to you, Susan. Has anybody noticed that over the years, if you've been coming to this Bible study, every now and then we're going to take a break from our study, and we'll look at a little bit of prophecy, and we get pretty excited, because it looks like Jesus' return is going to happen, and then we're kind of bummed, because it didn't. Has anybody else been there? I mean, am I the only one? There's been a lot of things happening in the globe that line up with Scripture, and we get, like, maybe today, and it doesn't happen. And then a little bit later, all of a sudden, things start happening again in the world, and we start seeing some more things in Scripture, and we think, well, maybe this year, maybe it's, has anybody ever had that experience? And I started to feel bad about it, until just this week, I heard a preacher make this statement. He said, we shouldn't be surprised that all of a sudden it feels like, mm, and then it doesn't happen. And then a little later, wait a minute, oh, and then it doesn't happen. Oh, Christ is coming! Oh, but it didn't happen. He goes, that's birth pains. You ladies, you remember? I remember when we were giving birth to Nicole. I did most of the work, but Becky, <laughs> Becky was, uh, but I remember when we were expecting Nicole and we, as our first child, and we thought, I mean, the due date, the doctor told us this is when it's going to happen. The scriptures and the stars all lined up. It was going to happen. And uh, it didn't happen. And for those weeks, as we thought it was going to happen, it was like, maybe not, no, maybe not, no. But guess what? She came. See, I just wish there was some way we could induce the return of Jesus Christ. That's all I was just... I, I wish there was some Pitocin. Go ahead. Hastening the day. Hastening the day. There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, ma'am. Is verse 13 his second coming or the rapture? Or 
The glorious appearing is the rapture. And here's why. You have to understand, he's going to first come for us. Why would the church wait for his second coming when we know that the Bible has been teaching that he's going to come first for us? We're going to go be with him, experience the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to go through the marriage, marriage uh, uh, of the Lamb, which is going to happen during the tribulation period. Well, we're in heaven, and that's going to be going on. The marriage supper is actually the, the, the wedding feast that's going to happen during the millennial kingdom. So why would the church be told to wait for the second coming when the rapture is what we're to be watching for? Remember, Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. If the rapture happens at the second coming, as some people teach, we just meet him there and come right back down to the earth. That's not where he's been preparing place, is it? No, I go to prepare a place. And if I prepare a place, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me that you'll be where I am. Let me give you one other real quick commercial and then I'll get right to you, Jeff. Further evidence of the pre-tribulational rapture. Is where you understand your Bibles, at the beginning of the tribulation, we see it in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14, there are 144,000 witnesses that are sealed by God at the beginning of the tribulation, 12,000 from each tribe of Judah. The 144,000 Jewish witnesses that are sent out to the whole world, chapter 14 says that they are the first fruits to God. Wait a minute. The scripture says that the first believers that got saved at the beginning of the church age were the first fruits. To God. How can the 144,000 witnesses be first fruits if we already have first fruits? Oh, they're the first fruits of the next time period. The beginning part of the church age, the first, the first believers were the first fruits of the church age. Church age comes to a close. He takes us to be with him. And then at the tribulation, they're the first ones saved during the tribulation period. That means we're gone. All right. All right. Let's, let's move on. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 through 17. And for once, I made a promise and kept it. We moved on. Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 through 17. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We've got a lot we're going to get into in the weeks to come here. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As you can already tell, we are not getting this all in tonight and maybe not in the next two or three weeks. But what I want to do tonight is I want to pull out a couple of things from here. First of all, when he says... Those of us who have put off the old self and put on the new, which is being renewed in the knowledge of after the image of its creator. It says in verse 11 here in this group of people that have been saved and are being saved. There is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. The truth of this salvation means that all are equal in God through Christ. Now, I got to stop here, though, and deal with something that some people try to teach from this passage and one in Galatians, which I'm about to get to. There are some that try to take this passage and the one in Galatians I'm about to take you to and say that since the scripture says that there is no division, everybody's equal in role in the church. But this passage is not saying that everyone's equal in role. This is saying that in Christ, everyone is equal, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, whether you were a slave when you got saved or whether you were a free person when you got saved, whether you were of this nationality or that nationality, whether you were white or black. When you're in Christ and Christ is in you, there's no hierarchy when it comes to who God likes more. We're all equal in Christ. That doesn't remove roles. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Back up, back up a couple of books. Some people now have been saying 
um, that there aren't roles for men and women in the church because of Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 27. It says, For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Now there are those who will take you to this passage and say, there's no different roles for men and women in the church. Women can do the same thing men can do, men can do the same thing women can do, because here it says there's no male or female in Christ. Listen, don't build your doctrine or let someone teach you doctrine from one passage of Scripture. Build your doctrine from the whole of Scripture. And we're not going to take the time to look at it all. But the Bible teaches very clearly that even though we're all equal in Christ, there's, there's, as someone has put it well, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That doesn't mean that God doesn't have different roles for each of us. There are different roles for men. There are different roles for women in the church. That doesn't mean that we're not equal. There's different roles for men and women in the home. The Christ is the head of the church. The husband's the head of the home. There are different roles. The Bible teaches it. Go real quickly to 2 Corinthians. Uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verses uh, 12 through 26. And again, I'm going to change the word member to body parts. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one in one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And as it is, God has arranged the parts in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And then he goes on and says that I can't save the hand, I don't need you and all. So we see here in Paul's teaching, using those same terms, there's no slave nor free, Greek or Jew. Even though we're equal in Christ, in the church, even though no one's higher, close, stop thinking that the preacher's closer to God than you. I'm tired of people calling me reverend. I don't like being called reverend. I hate even signing reverend when I do a wedding. Because that makes people think that I'm closer to God. I'm not closer to God because he's called me to preach. I'm just a loud, noisy body part. <laughs> I might be more noticeable, but some of you have body parts that you thankfully covered when you came in here, right? That doesn't mean they're any less important. All body parts are important. You want proof? Cut off your big toes. Try to walk. I know a buddy of mine who back in high school was mowing the lawn barefoot. Don't recommend that. He cut off his big toes. Had to learn to walk all over again. He was a teenager. Couldn't walk without big toes. How many of you have ever lost a fingernail? You can pretty much say goodbye to that hand, can't you, for a while. You can't even do half of the stuff you used to do because a silly fingernail was missing. Folks, the Bible teaches in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Let me just quote it to you and then it'll save time. It says, uh, let none of you think of yourself more highly than you ought, but each with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God's given you. If your gift is this, do it. If your gift is this, do that. And so on as he goes. Listen, the Bible teaches that even though we're equal in the eyes of God and no one is closer to God than anybody else in the sense that God likes someone more than anybody else, we're all one in Christ. That doesn't remove roles. Are we good? I don't have to take any time further if we have to deal with that. If you have more questions, you can come to me and we can deal with that later. But for the sake of time, I just needed to just take the second to deal with that because there's too many people out there taking one verse of Scripture in Galatians and saying that there's no roles for men and women. Women can do the same thing as men. Here there's no male or female. That's building a doctrine from one verse. When you compare it with the whole of Scripture, you see that can't be what it's saying. All right? Now, let me also say real quickly, there are some that say women can never preach in a church. I believe the Bible teaches that their women aren't to be in authority in the church. But in 1 Corinthians, it says when a woman prophesies in church, she needs to do it with her head covered. So if a woman's not allowed to preach in the church, when's she prophesying? Do you understand? 
There are times that women can speak in church and they can preach in church. The Bible teaches it. They just need to make sure they're doing it under the authority of the men who have been given this responsibility to lead in the church. And if the elders say that she can preach, let her preach. Women aren't supposed to have the role of authority over men. There's different roles for women. But if we let the whole of Scripture teach, you'll understand that God's design is pretty cool and it all works pretty well. All right. Um, also, don't miss this. Christ is not only in all. He's what? He is all. Can somebody help me with this? What does that mean? I told you we we're going to come to this a little earlier tonight. I said we we're going to deal with something that was in the last section. I'll give you a hint. It's in verse 4. I heard it. When Christ who what? Is your life. Christ is not only in all. Christ is all. Paul, I wish I had the time to pull down the screen and show that video you sent me. And if you are interested in that, go see Paul, because I can't pronounce the guy's name. But this preacher took the time to lay out how many of us have been taught over the years that we're to try to live for God or under God, and we're supposed to live with God, where He is our all. Everything we do, well, Paul even said, your own poets have said when he was talking to the Areopagus, we are His offspring, in Him we have life and breath and everything else. Folks, do you understand that you couldn't even take a breath without Christ? The Bible says that He's in control of it all. The sad thing is most of us don't realize that, and we try to live without that knowledge. We try to do things for God. Lord, I did this for you. I thought you were going to... God says, I never wanted you to do for me. Remember the prodigal son story, the older brother? We've talked about this again. I'm going to remind it to you until it starts to sink in. The older brother says, wait a minute. All these years I've slaved for you, and you haven't even given me a goat. I've busted my fanny. I've worked for you. Lord, I was faithful. I went to Sunday school. Lord, I went on the Wednesday night services when other people weren't committed to it like I was. And Lord, I'm not seeing any benefit of this. And unfortunately, two minutes of them told you you need to work a little harder. No, what was the father's response? He says, my son, I'm always with you and everything I have is yours. You've been trying to earn it. It's all to be received by faith. It's yours. Believe it. You know what? I've come to find out God's a whole lot more generous than we ever were taught he was. Amen. I've come to realize, well, we're going to get to there. We are going to get to there as we close tonight. There's something in here I don't want you to miss. And we will get there tonight before we finish. We're going to do it now. We're going to do it in the last minutes we have. Because we have so much more we're going to get to. Folks, if you can come in the next few weeks. Now, remember, there is no Bible study the next two Tuesdays. We're not going to meet this next Tuesday or the Tuesday after that because I'm preaching for two weeks out of the state. And I won't be home uh, for the next two weeks. But April 28th, we'll be back. Please come back because I cannot wait to get to you. And we're going to deal with this whole music mess in the church. We're going to deal with it biblically. Some of you say, why can't we do that tonight? No, nope, we're doing it later. But come back. We're going to deal with it biblically. But for tonight, here's what I want to do. I want us to take a look at these verses that we just looked at in verses 12 through 14. I want you to look at verses 12 through 14. But we're going to look at them from a totally different angle. All right? Let me read them to you again. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony I want us in our closing time tonight to look at just those verses but we're not going to look at them as here's how you guys ought to be we're not going to look at them as here's what I expect for you or what God's wanting from you oh we'll get there we'll come back to that in time but for tonight, what I want to do is this. Look again at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll show you what verse is in just a second here. I believe it starts in verse 16. Yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 16. And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. 
Paul says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is what? Being renewed day by day. Now, if the Bible says our inner self, the real us, the part of us that has been connected with Christ through faith in Jesus and, and all that, what's it being renewed to look like? Well, Colossians 3.10 shows it to us. Someone read for us good and loud, Colossians 3.10. Read loud enough that the microphone picks you up for the people listening. I know when I said loud, that made half the room say, I can't do that. Put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Oh, so we're not only being renewed day by day, we're being renewed in the image of the one who created us. Who is who? Jesus. It's Jesus. All right. So listen, if God is renewing us in his image, these things that he expects of us to manifest must be who God is. They must be how God feels toward us, how God acts toward us. I don't know about you, but any of you ever grow up with parents that told you one thing and lived a different way? We've struggled with that a few times, haven't we? You know, don't do as I say, or don't do as I do, do as I say. But that's not who God is. So what I want to do now is I want to reread verses 12 through 13, and I want you to read them not as what we're to do, but actually read them as this is how God acts toward us. Would God ever expect you to do something he doesn't do? No. Listen. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Folks, I want the Spirit of God to help this sink into us right now. God's heart is compassionate toward you right now. I know that's hard for us to believe because we've been taught the other, that we're supposed to work for God. And all the years I've slaved for you and you haven't even given me a goat. What benefit is it? You're a hard taskmaster. You, you, you gather where you haven't scattered seed. But that's not who he is. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30? Come unto me who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Lord, tell my sister to help me. I'm working for you here in the kitchen. No, she's cool. She's sitting right here at my feet, and that's all I'm really wanting from her. You know, Martha, I'm a God that can make a whole lot of fish show up in a net. I can turn water into wine. I could turn stones into bread if I wanted to. I don't need you in the kitchen for me. I want you to walk with me. God is compassionate toward us. Oh, he's kind toward us. He's humble and meek toward us. Some of you are saying, slow down. It's right there in your Bible. Write it down. Oh, slow to anger. I think you said slow down. I'm thinking, slow down. It's right there. Someone already took the notes for you. I'm sorry. Slow to anger. Definitely. We'll get to that in a second. He's humble. He's patient with you. He's bearing with you in your struggles. Oh, and he is forgiving and has forgiven you. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Oh, by the way, you know the Bible says that we're going to bump into each other and get each other upset? You know the Bible talks about that, right? Bear with one another. Why would it tell us to bear with one another unless the Bible expected us to rub each other the wrong way at times? You understand what I'm saying? God would never tell us to bear with one another unless he understood that's going to happen. He even says in Romans 14, some are going to see it this way, some are going to see it that way. Look, relax, stop judging each other. Let me show you something really cool real quick. Put a bookmark here in Colossians 3. We've got time for this. You've got two minutes. Go to Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 4. I, I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to make it a rule or a law because then you won't do it. I'm going to ask you to memorize Romans chapter 14, verse 4. I want you to not just memorize it. I want you to put it in your heart. This will take care of a whole lot of mess in our churches. And by the way, I'm giving you a little hint as we head toward the music mess. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Oh, I love this. Don't miss this last part. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
Haven't there been times over the years that as you've been raising your children, someone might have gotten a little nosy on how they think you should have raised your kids? Did the hair on the back of your neck stand up? What was your attitude? Wait a minute, these are my kids and I'm raising my kids. And just because you raise your kids that way doesn't mean I'm going to raise my kids. You understand what I'm talking about? And you also understood that you had a purpose and a plan and a process. And maybe some of the stuff you see my kid needs to work on, you may be right. But I'm not working on that with them right now. I got other stuff right now called wetting the bed and picking their nose that we're working on right now. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get that taken care of. And then we'll move on to some of this other stuff. We're not going to expect our kids to all be there right now. We're in a process. Listen. All of us as children of God are in this process. And we, because we have been taught that it's up to us to work for God and thereby we've got to figure out what the rules are so that everybody's doing the same thing in the same way and at the same time, we have all of a sudden with that become judges of each other on whether or not your hair is the right length or your clothing is appropriate or your translation is right or the music you use is appropriate and all this stuff. And listen to what God says. Hey, um, these are my kids. There are some things in here that are clearly sin. And you are free if you are spiritual and not falling into sin yourself to go up to these people you who are spiritual. If you see your brother in a fault, Galatians 6.1, you who are spiritual, go restore them gently. But if it's not an area that I have said is sin or if it's an area that I said, look, I'm going to let this person work this way and I'm going to work with you in this way. You're not to judge someone else's servant because before his own master he stands or falls and listen, he will be fine because the Lord's going to get him there. The Lord's going to get him there. Folks, think back over your life. Were there times that it didn't look like you were going to get there? Let's be honest. Let's be really honest. Were there times it looked like you weren't going to get there? <laughs> Some of you feel like I'm not sure I'm going to get there now. <laughs> oh, if you're in Christ. And you learn how to believe that he will finish what he started. You're going to get there. Turn it over to him. And believe that he'll do it. And watch what God starts to do. Mark, go ahead. Jimmy, I know we're closing, but uh, in, this, in the Bible tonight, on those verses about the uh, reoccurring sin and the practice of sin and being a slave to sin, and those who are in Christ and truly saved are going to be a portion of that. Why was Paul then... So grievous over his reoccurring sin. What, what was actually going on? If you remember what Paul said in Romans 7, he was saying he was dealing more with the struggle against his flesh. That's all it was. It was he wasn't saying that he, he kept giving in to sin over and over and over. He was just mainly talking about the struggle against his flesh. Well, I feel completely safe tonight. Mm -hmm. But I have problems uh, yep. committing the same sin again. Yep. But Me too. Bible's Anybody else? Real quick. Anybody else have trouble struggling? Okay, go ahead. Good. <laughs> but the Bible says that you won't practice sin if you are. Well, listen, listen. Did you read the passage again? I love how the ESV brought it out. They won't continue to make a practice of sinning. You're in the process, my brother, and so am I. It's grievous, and, and you said ask for help. So after this is over, I'm going to ask you how to get some help. I'll tell you right now. Same thing Jesus said in the garden. Every day, you know what your struggle is. You know what sin kicks your butt. All right? You need to daily get up in the morning first thing and say, Lord, thank God your mercies are new every morning because my flesh gets up every morning. And today, I'm not asking you to fix me. I'm asking you to begin to manifest this victory little by little at your time period, in your pace. See, your struggle, and I'm saying this to you, Mark, because I know it's everybody else's same problem. We've all been taught to pray, Lord, take it away. God says, mm, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Take it from another sinner. Not a sinner in who I am, but a Christian who still struggles with sin. He's showing me his grace in this process. I still struggle too. Little by little, it's, I'm getting a victory. You will too. But it's a good thing too because in the ministry God's called you to, the last thing you need to preach to these guys is one magic prayer and it's all gone. Amen. You now can come alongside the guys that he's called you to and say, I understand, but let me tell you how to get victory a little at a time. Let me ask you one quick question and we'll get to you. Are you not the same guy you were 10 years ago in this area? Then you're perfect. You are moving on to maturity. Yeah, <laughs> that's because you've been taught to have it all done now. 
You're not supposed to have it all done now. Yes, sir. I think we all need to pray the prayer of John the Baptist. We said, may Jesus increase and I decrease. You got it. But we have to learn to pray that on a daily basis. Yeah, every day. Every day. May you increase, may I decrease. Mark, I'm glad you brought that up. Because you know what? For this place to be a real place, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be honest with everybody else. Oh, it's going to get better because we're going to learn how to put on. We can focus all we want about putting off. We're going to learn how to put on and we're going to come back. Let me pray for us. Yeah, well, the good news is the Lord's going to be with you. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you so much for the way you continue to just fill this place up with folks that are just ready and hungry for your word. Lord, I thank you for the, how this hour just goes just like that. And it's fun to be with you and with brothers and sisters and allowing you to teach us. But Lord, at the same time, we don't want to just say we took a class. We don't want to get a certificate. We want to have transformation. So may we, by your grace, because your word teaches us to ask you, uh, may you direct our hearts into your love and into the perseverance and the steadfastness of Christ. We believe that you will, but Lord, we're going to ask you to do it. And thank you that you don't force us to get saved, and you don't force us to be sanctified, but you daily renew your call to us. You pursue us like the two men on the road to Emmaus. You come after the guys when they go back out to fish. You continually say, I'm right here, and everything I have is yours. But you got to believe it. you got to believe it. And Lord, I'm going to thank you for those people, even though they were good-intentioned, who taught me that I had to work harder because it had put in me a hunger for the real Christian life. And I thank you for the fact that I can understand this transformation that you're doing now because I've tried to do it on my own. Oh, I'm, I know I got saved when I was eight years old and didn't fully understand all that it meant at that time, but I thank you for it. But Lord, I do now understand salvation a lot more as I have given up trying to live the Christian life. Father, I pray that for the people here. I thank you for the faces that I can see and the nods and the smiles and the, the, those that are maybe a little bit further down the road in this process. But we're going to be in this process till you take us home. But Lord, thank you for bringing us together. And we look forward to getting back together in two weeks. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming.